In only 47 days, some 500 visionaries will be gathering in one place, face-to-face for the first time in three years, and we want so much for you to be among the 500. A place where we'll meet sharing this common condition and presented with a common solution. Suffer no more. We will find power and peace. Nothing in the history of Overeaters Anonymous has ever taken place like this before. This is history-making, folks. The numbers are staggering. The hope, boundless. And the promise, incalculable. This will be an extraordinary convention weekend shared together. The best of the best OA Big Book teachers have been assembled in one place and will be at your disposal. Can you imagine? And there will be huge elements of excitement and surprise throughout each day over this weekend. The Power of the Big Book, your weekend of inspiration, education, motivation, and fellowship, October 30th through November 1st, 2015, at the Wyndham Hotel, Virginia Beach, Virginia. If ever the time, if ever the place, this is it. Do not ponder, do not waffle, and do not waver, but do register, do attend, and do it now. There are a few seats remaining and set aside for you. Do not let them go. You can register this very minute by going to A Vision for You's website at www.avisionforyou.info. We are so looking forward to joining with you there. And now, welcome to A Vision for You Sunday Special Edition. Good morning, Leah M. Good morning and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, September 13, 2015. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. The share ID for Friday, September 11th, is 7988. That's 7988. This morning, A Vision for You presents our real purpose. The promise of the 12-step process is one of a spiritual awakening. A spiritual awakening, according to Appendix 2 of the Big Book, is a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from compulsive overeating. We are able to see, to feel, to know, and to do things we could never do before. The 12 steps of recovery are a group of principles, spiritual in nature, which, if practiced as a way of life, will do two things. One, rid us of the compulsion to compulsively overeat. And two, enable the suffering compulsive overeater to become happily and usefully whole. As we become established in a new relationship with a higher power of our understanding, we become less and less interested in ourselves and more and more interested in what we can contribute to life. A deep desire to help begins to emerge. A true compassion for the suffering of others grows slowly but inevitably. The 12-step recovery process transforms our lives into an extraordinarily powerful journey charged with meaning, purpose, and usefulness. Joining us this morning is Joe M., a recovered compulsive overeater from Minnesota. Joe is dedicated to living the 12 steps of recovery and a devoted messenger of the program. 
of recovery. And welcome to you, Joe. Good morning, Leah. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Joe, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. I asked Leah if I could come on the line and talk about something that is a great concern to me in the OA Fellowship. I hear and read these kinds of phrases on a regular basis in our meetings and in our OA literature. My job is to protect my abstinence. I got through the situation with my abstinence intact. My job as a sponsor is to protect my sponsee's abstinence. I got through the day abstinent, and so it was a good day. Abstinence is the number one thing in my life without exception. Our greatest service is our abstinence. All these comments have one message, that abstinence is our goal, that achieving or maintaining the abstinence state is our purpose. But this is not the message of the big book. On page 77 it says, Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. Achieving or maintaining abstinence is not a service to anyone. It is simply the prerequisite to be available to engage the program of recovery as found in the 12 steps. Abstinence will never, ever be my goal. Not one moment of any day will abstinence ever be my goal. The moment I start believing that abstinence is my goal, I'm out of here. I have no use for a fellowship that tells me that my only job is to put boundaries around my food and that if I do that, I'll be okay. The big book is very clear that those of us who put boundaries around our food are not okay. The doctor's opinion says they are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by taking a few drinks. The abstinence state makes me feel restless, irritable, and discontented. It's not a state I want to be in, nor a state I can afford to be in. On page 52 in We Agnostics, they describe my state of mind in the abstinence state. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. This is how I am when I'm abstinent. I am in chaos. The result of abstinence is relapse. I cannot bear, nor do I see others like me being able to bear, the abstinence state for very long without heading into the inevitable, which is relapse. I suffer from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and the doctor's opinion says unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. At the end of the chapter, more about alcoholism, it says, The alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. Except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. Our defense does not come from abstinence. 
In the appendix on spiritual experiences in the back of the book, it says the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. The personality change does not come from abstinence. In Bill's story, when he's talking about his newly sober friend, Ebby, he says, I saw that my friend was much more than inwardly reorganized. His roots grasped new soil. Being inwardly reorganized does not come from abstinence. Believing that abstinence is the goal of recovery is a failed belief. It is a false message. Anyone who carries the abstinence-only message to the newcomer is lying to the newcomer and depriving that person of the message of the big book, which is the real message of recovery. Step 12 says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of my affairs. So my goal is not abstinence, nor is my goal to have a spiritual awakening. My goal is to manifest the two actions of step 12, which is to carry the message to others and practice these principles in all of my affairs. The language of the steps is telling. Having had a spiritual awakening, I am going to experience this spiritual awakening. There is no way not to experience it. The steps are too powerful. So now that I've had this spiritual awakening, otherwise known as being inwardly reorganized, having a personality change, experiencing the fourth dimension of existence, and so on, I'm going to do something with that. I'm now going to take that energy and I'm going to invest it by carrying this message to others and practicing these principles in all of my affairs. The message I'm carrying is not that you'll be abstinent. The message I'm carrying is that you too can be rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence. And then when you get there, you can in turn carry the message to others and practice these principles in all of your affairs. Practicing these principles in all of my affairs means taking my renewed spirit into my respective home, occupation, and affairs. That's how the big book puts it. In the chapter into action on page 82, it says, Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is to keep sober. Certainly he must keep sober, for there will be no home if he doesn't. But he is yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents whom for years he has so shockingly treated. Sometimes I hear a compulsive overeater say the only thing she needs to do is to keep abstinent. Certainly she must keep abstinent, for there will be no home if she doesn't. But she is yet a long way from making good to the people whom for years she has so shockingly treated. There are two groups of people who come to OA. Group one, they have, uh, they have a problem with food, but once they identify their trigger foods, they're able to stay away from them with no further action. I dated a woman years ago who was in this camp. She had tried OA. She had identified that sugar was a problem for her. She decided to stay away from it, and she did. I ran into someone very recently who had been in OA about 10 years ago. She told me she simply doesn't eat sugar, and she said she's doing well. I could see that she was a normal body size, so she's obviously not overeating, and she was not a bulimic. For group one, the physical craving is the only issue. 
They stay away from the food that gives them a craving, and that solves the problem. They learned that entire abstinence solves this issue. Group one does not need our program. Then there's group two. The people in group two, and I am one of them, have a lot more wrong with us than just the allergy of the body, the physical craving. We also have an obsession of the mind, fueled by a spiritual malady. The spiritual malady is so powerful that only a spiritual solution can solve it. The big book refers to this spiritual malady as selfishness and self-centeredness, the bondage of self, that we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate, that we often find ourselves handicapped by obstinacy, sensitiveness, and unreasoning prejudice, that we believed our human intelligence was the last word. For those of us in group two, abstinence is not an answer. The answer is a spiritual solution for our spiritual malady. And the only solution for people like us is to engage the 12 steps as laid out in the big book. If the only problem of the alcoholic was the need to abstain from alcohol, all they would have done in the beginning was to produce a small pamphlet called The Doctor's Opinion About Alcoholism. They could have gotten this pamphlet into the hands of other medical professionals, had it distributed at medical conventions, and Morris Markey's article in Liberty Magazine in 1939 would have been titled Alcoholics and Abstinence instead of Alcoholics and God. The doctor's letter would leave out any reference to a psychic change. It would only focus on abstaining from alcohol. This literature could have made it into the hands of psychologists, prison officials, and the news media. The abstinence message would have become the message. But, of course, that's not what happened in Alcoholics Anonymous. Sometimes I think that in Overeaters Anonymous, though, that's what we've done. We've created an abstinence message and spread it. And this message is destructive. It is not benign. The newcomer comes to our rooms hurting and alone, suffering and desperate, wondering if there is a way out of the hell that they are living in. When we tell them, you can be abstinent, that message has no staying power. And I know this because it had no staying power with me. I used to believe the abstinence message And it failed me over and over and over again. But the recovery message, that is what has worked for me. That is what has catapulted me into a life I could have only dreamed of. With that message, I have recovered. Every person who comes to OA has a decision to make. Are you in group one or group two? If you're in group one, You don't need the program of recovery. Go and just be abstinent because that will solve your problem. But if you are in group two and you're like me and you suffer from a mental obsession while in the abstinent state, we've got a program for you. The program is fail-safe. It is 100% effective for those who work it 100%. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. 
I am not an abstinent compulsive overeater, and there's a difference. Abstinence is included in the definition of being recovered, but being recovered is not included in the definition of being abstinent. I have recovered. The big book says its purpose is to enable us to find a power greater than ourselves which will solve our problem. Good OA provides an environment in which we carry the big book message to others. We should never veer away from this mission. Too many people are suffering from this condition, and the promise of recovery is too sweet to let it go to waste. Two and a half years ago, I came on this line and went into great detail about my own abstinence because I had received a number of phone calls from people struggling to become abstinent, and there seemed to be confusion about what it meant to practice abstinence. Abstinence, in order for it to serve its purpose, must be complete and must be practiced at every meal, every day, without exception. But this practice must come under the umbrella of admitting powerlessness, which is step one. For compulsive overeaters, those of us in group two, for those of us to enter the world of recovery, we first admit our powerlessness over our allergy of the body and our obsession of the mind. Abstinence then becomes a manifestation of our admission of powerlessness and takes its proper place in our lives. At that point, we come to accept that abstinence is not our goal and can never become our goal. Dr. Silkworth says in the doctor's opinion, the message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. He also says frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. What is frothy emotional appeal? It's terms like stop drinking. For those of us who are compulsive overeaters, stop overeating. Become abstinent. Do what you have to do to protect your abstinence. What is the message of depth and weight for people like us? The big book on page 132 says, We have recovered and have been given the power to help others. In the chapter, There is a Solution, on page 25, it says, We have found much of heaven, and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we had not even dreamed. On pages 83 and 84, in the chapter Into Action, it says, We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. These results are not the product of abstinence. These results are the product of engaging the program of recovery, the 12 steps as laid out in the big book. So now, what am I going to do with these results? In the chapter Working with Others on page 102, it says, Your job now is to be at the place where you may be of maximum helpfulness to others, 
So never hesitate to go anywhere if you can be helpful. And again, on page 77, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. That's my purpose. The word God, for me, means all the good qualities of being human, being kind, patient, generous, tolerant, compassionate, empathic, responsible, loving, and so on. So when I'm being of service to God, I am practicing these qualities. What does that look like in my life? It means hearing my cat have severe coughing, taking her immediately to the emergency veterinarian, paying for the necessary care, giving her prescribed medications, taking her for all of her follow-up visits until she is out of the woods of her respiratory flare-up, calling a friend the moment I heard his wife had died, sending him flowers the day after, attending the memorial service, and calling my friend every day to see how he's doing and letting him know I'm thinking about him. Attending a co-worker's send-off before she gets married and positively participating in the social experience. Making regular donations to an animal rehabilitation center in our town. Working as an election judge in every election year. Sponsoring others regularly calling newcomers to support them as they begin to get on their feet in this program, saying hello to the bus driver when I get on and thank you when I get off. I'm a commuter and I take the bus every day to work. Being generous to people on their birthdays and anniversaries. Interrupting a task at work to help a colleague who has asked for help, and this happens a lot providing outstanding customer service to my customers at work by responding in a timely manner, providing professional and effective recommendations, and following through on tasks that I've committed to. Sitting in a 90-minute work meeting recently and just listening, because that's what the group needed me to do that day. Bringing a poem to my poetry group and sharing it, and listening to the poems of others and positively participating in discussions about those poems. Holding a regular service job at my home group, right now I bring the literature. Contributing to the food drive they hold a couple of times a year at my food co-op. Letting pedestrians completely cross the street before I pull my car into the intersection. These are not heroic acts. They are ordinary everyday acts, but they allow me to live into my real purpose. This is a way of life. Why did I feel so strongly about coming on the line today and talking about this? Because every time a compulsive overeater buys the abstinence message, I'm looking at someone who I believe eventually will leave our fellowship because the abstinence-only state is too unsatisfactory to stick around. And when that person leaves, which they ultimately almost always will do, then I lose out on the recovery they would have had and that they would have contributed. I lose out on the message they would have carried. I lose out on the friendship and camaraderie we could have developed. I lose out on the inspired feeling I get by watching someone recover and then go help others. It's painful for me to see people believe a false message. 
I need people to believe the real message of our program. I need my fellow recovered overeaters. I can't do this alone. But I don't just need warm bodies. I need people who accept their condition and grab onto this program of recovery as if their life depends on it, because my life depends on it. Every strong, recovered message I hear makes a difference for me. It's a reminder to me to continue to go out there and fulfill my real purpose. The inspiration and strength I get from my recovered compulsive overeaters is priceless. And I also want for others what I myself have, a restored mind that enables me to go out and touch the lives of others in a positive way. So my parting question to you is, do you feel clear what your real purpose is? Do you believe that it is only to put boundaries around your food? Or do you believe what the big book says, that our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us? With that, I will pass. Thank you so much, Joe, for your powerful and inspirational presentation this morning. Thank you so much. Joe's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of this recording, so please stay tuned for that. And we'll now transition into question and answer segment. If you have any questions for Joe, press star 1 to unmute and identify yourself, please. Chrissy M. Chrissy. Anyone Sylvia. else? Sylvia. Who else? Star one to unmute. All right, let's get started with Chrissy then. Hi, good morning. Matt M. And Matt. Okay, great. Go ahead, Chrissy. Sure, thank you. Thank you so much, Joe. That was um so it was so poignant, but it was so clear, um, you know, just uh, nuts and bolts, you know, just it is what it is. And I I have had that experience that um, abstinence isn't, isn't my goal. And I have found a higher power. And I love the examples that you gave of your spiritual awakening, how, how it presents itself and what it looks like in day-to-day life and everyday living. I What my question is, um, when you are starting with someone new who is very blocked from a higher power and you're trying to sell to them the fact, and I know, I mean, part of it, I'm answering my own question. I mean, they have to be the place where they're desperate enough to accept that a, a spiritual solution is their only solution. I guess that's the answer. But I, I just wanted to know, like, what what attempts do you make to try to convince them that it it is their their only solution when they are so blocked to a higher power? Thank you. Well, I don't think that my job is to convince someone else that their only solution is a spiritual solution. I don't think that's my role as a sponsor or someone who's recovered. I think really the teachers. Um, for us, for people like us, are our experiences. If you're working with someone who seems resistant to what we're saying, I mean, I think you can ask them a series of questions. What is it that brought you to Overeaters Anonymous? What are you seeking here? 
I'm assuming that if someone comes into the rooms of OA, there's something inside of them that knows that diets don't work for them, that the diet clubs and their own individual attempts at solving this have failed. So I would guess I would get clarity uh, from them. What is it that they're seeking? You know, there's that passage in the big book. It says, if you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. So it really comes back to that question, what is it that you want? You can ask that person, what is it that you want? Do you want what you see someone else having? Are you inspired by what you hear? Are you inspired by what you see? And then she can answer that or he can answer that. That's really a yes or no question. If they're inspired by what they hear or what they see, say, what is it about that person that inspires you? What is it about them that's attractive to you? Well, I like the look in their eye. They seem calm. Um, they, you know, their relationships are better. They, um, and if they're new and they, they're, they're in the food, they're going to say, yeah, and they have a normal body weight, and they're going to say those kinds of things. So I think if you can... If you can help that other person identify for themselves what it is they're looking for, and if they, if they find that what we're offering is attractive, then you have somewhere to go. Then you can say, well, if you find what we have attractive, I can show you how to get that. I can show you how to experience that, and here's what we do to experience that. Does that answer your question, Chrissy? Excellent. Yes, perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chrissy. Sylvia F., your turn. This is Sylvia F. in upstate New York, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and I loved the clarity of your message, and um, it's the message I also hear from the big book. Um, so really appreciated it. Here's my question. I, You know, I, I travel a lot, and I go to a lot of um, OA meetings around the country, out of the country too, and I'll be at meetings where what I hear is abstinence is our primary purpose, or I'll, I'll hear some of the messages that you've said. And so my, my job, as far as um, I understand in the big book, is I'm there to carry the message as best I can, and I need to do it without judgment. Uh, that's what I believe the big book says, too. When you're in a meeting uh, like that, how do you carry that message without judgment? And with that, I pass. Mm-hmm. I can always carry a message from my own experience. And as long as I'm talking about myself and what I experience, then I'm safe. Then I'm not in judgment. I am simply communicating what I myself have been able to experience. I can communicate my own transformation. I can communicate that you know, abstinence is simply what comes. It doesn't just simply come. I mean, I, I needed to get help to construct abstinence, but that that's really, really abstinence comes after the admission of powerlessness and that my my real job is to, is to touch the lives of others in a positive way, and I get to do that. Um, and I can share my own experience with abstinence only. I can share that at a meeting. Because, again, if I'm only talking about myself and my own experience, that's not judging. That's not being judgmental. 
That's being of service to that group. That's being of service to that hurting newcomer, or frankly, the person who's been around for a number of years, and they're trying to live the abstinence-only message. So to me, Sylvia, as long as you communicate your own recovered state, and I would encourage you to introduce yourself as a recovered compulsive overeater at those meetings. Um, You know, you don't know who you might be reaching when you talk about your recovered state of mind. So does that answer your question, Sylvia? Uh, Very well. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Sylvia. Matt M., your turn. Hi. Thank you. This is Matt M., a recovering almost over eater just for today. I can't say I'm recovered yet. Joe, thank you so much for your wonderful um, presentation. I really, it really got to me, and it really got me to ask the question I'm going to ask you. Um, I, where I live in New Jersey, there's a lot I hear all the time. Abstinence is the most important thing without exception. I have a really close friend of mine who's been struggling with this concept. It took me seven years because that's when I originally went into the original OA program, and I, I, I bought into that idea. I suffered for seven more years, and now I'm trying to get – I'm working the vision for you way of life, and I'm doing the best I can with it one day at a time. Now, what do I do? I really want to help this friend. I see her struggling, and I, I just see the path of her leaving the room. Is there any way I can try to reach her now because she had, I saw her, I've seen her buy into the way of abstinence like I did. Is there anything I can do to help her, not, not to convert her, but try to help her in a way that I, even though I'm not recovered yet, try to help her come back and try to help, make, um, try to help her be fill in the rooms? So I have a funny feeling she's on her way out. Well, I think you can tell her about your own experience, Matt. And you can tell her that you're living a different way of life now and it feels wonderful, and that you, I mean, I, I can't put words in your mouth, but, you know, we can say things like, gosh, you know, I feel, I feel like I'm more myself. I feel like I've taken, I, I've taken flight away from just being abstinent, and I have a really different purpose now, and I feel really good about that, and I want you to know that, because if that's something that you would like to have, I want you to know that you can have it. And I, I just would encourage you to be, brief with her, Matt, because I think sometimes the less we say, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's, that's what I would suggest. Does that answer your question? Yes, thank you so much, Joe. You're welcome. Thanks, Matt. Who else has a question today? Mary F. From New York. Mary F. Charles, I hear you. Anyone else? Judith R. Judith R. Anyone else? This is Gail. Gail T. Gail T. Mary Lee R. Mary Lee R. Okay, that's a good group. Mary F., go ahead, please. Hi, everybody. This is Mary F., a recovered compulsive overreader from Florida. Thank you so much, Joe, for your presentation today. It's wonderful to hear you and what you had to share. I have a question. Um, I am... I ha- I have I have experienced this myself in the beginning of my recovery where I had was abstinent for a long period of time, lost a significant amount of weight, and then began to chip away at the structure of the disciplines of the program, the step work, the all of the the spiritual program of recovery, and I eventually ended up in the food. My relapse began long before I picked up the first bite of of um of food and 
how my question is how do you support people who you see um being recovered being abstinent working the steps um being recovered and then becoming less disciplined around abstinence around the food and um thinking that they don't have to do so much around that anymore because they're recovered now and need to focus on their spiritual recovery through the 12 steps and then um leave or or or, or um stop doing what was helping them around their food abstinence and i know for me my i my my food abstinence is so critical for me to be able to live in the the spiritual world in twelve is through the twelve steps and in that fourth dimension and how do you do you see that and how do you support people i've seen people go out over and over again and then eventually come back oh i kind of forgot about food abstinence here and um so that's my question to you Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, Mary, I would say that someone who says that they're recovered or thinks that they're recovered and then they become less disciplined over time, they're not recovered. They don't understand what it means to be recovered and they have not accepted their condition. So I would say, in fact, they're not recovered. Because when you're someone who is recovered, I mean, I've recovered. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. The opposite is true. I have to be more disciplined today. I have to be more rigorous today. I have to pay more attention to the big book message today. I'm, I'm, I mean, my, my rigor gets greater, not less. My, responsibility, my responsibilities are greater now than they were, not less. The, uh, I heard someone say one time, we don't relapse from recovery. We only relapse from abstinence. So I would suggest, Mary, that the people who go out there and they become less disciplined and then they go back, that they're living in the abstinence state. Because that's, like I said, that's what happens when we live in the abstinence state. We think we've got it made. And those of us who have recovered, we understand we do not have it made. We understand in our heart, in our gut, in our soul that we have a daily reprieve contingent on what? Contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. What does the big book say? Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will for us into all of our activities. Those of us who have recovered, we take that to heart. We take that seriously. It doesn't mean that we are perfect people. It doesn't mean that we, don't, that we don't have new resentments and new fears come up. I certainly have those things. It doesn't mean we don't make spiritual mistakes or mistakes with people. I certainly do that. But thank goodness, you know, I've got step 10 to help me do a course correction. So if, if someone is using the word recovered, but they are interpreting that as I can coast now, that is not recovered. Recovered is, I'm heading up the hill, and as long as I live, I'm going to keep heading up that hill. And I'm going to, put, and I am going to work and strive and do my part to keep walking up. The, it's, it's a continual uphill walk. But it's a wonderful walk. It's a wonderful, beautiful walk 
to be recovered. Does that answer your question, Mary? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Mary F. Charles H. Morning, Joe. This is Charles H. from New York. Um, as a recovered person, I just would love your experience on the fact of, um, you know, when you when you went through a process and, and got recovered and started helping people and, you know, sharing your experience, strength, and hope. Um, I guess my question is, do you feel that, um, you know, as your spiritual, as you, you know, continue on your spiritual experience, um, that some more ground needs to be broken up and then uh, then you will find hidden resentments and hidden fears that you couldn't see the first time around. And have you ever, I guess the two-part question, have you ever been in a state where you've been, you recovered, however, like a lot of your sponsees, uh, this year, not willing to go through with the process, and um, you, you continue to uh, seek out more sponsors. I know that's like a bugged out question, but that's what's on my heart this morning. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Charles, yes, absolutely. In answer to your first question, um, breaking new ground, 100%. I mean, I find that the more I engage the program, which I have to do, you know, for my life, new stuff comes up. I mean, stuff that I thought or I, I assumed I would never have to deal with, I'm having to deal with. Um, these, these areas where maybe I had a struggle, but I was able to kind of get away with it earlier, I don't get away with that stuff. Um, as an example, I mean, there was some years ago where my finances were absolutely in chaos. I had to confront that. And I had to do an inventory around, and I actually, I mean, I, I ended up, and for some of us, you know, we need other 12-step programs. Um, I, had to, I had to seek out another 12-step program for that because the chaos around my finances was starting to threaten my recovery in this program. That's how serious it was. So, yeah, I've had to deal with that. In the last year or so, I've been having to work on um, another set of issues, which basically boils down to my relationships with people. What is the real quality of my relationships with people? You know, so for you know, for a good a good while, I was um, you know, I'd go into work and I'd pass the I'd pass all the cubes onto my left because I work on a with cubes I work at the very end, and I'd walk in there and I would just shoot down to my cube. I would just make a beeline. Well, in the last year or so, I've been having to really look at, and with, I'm getting help with this, um, I have been slowing down, pausing, and saying hello to my coworkers as I pass their cube, just very quietly, good morning, good morning, good morning, and then I go to my cube. Now, I used to get away with not having to do that, but you know, my recovery continues to call on me to practice higher levels of behavior. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why the spiritual system is set up in that way. Um, I remember someone telling me some years ago, she said, we're always growing and changing, meaning we always, you know, we need to be growing and changing. The Joe of six months ago, you know, I don't get away with that anymore. The Joe of a year ago, I have to be different than the Joe of a year ago. Six months from now, I'm going to have to be different than I am today. Five years from now, I'm going to have to be really different than I am today. 
the program of recovery requires that of me. I don't know why, but it definitely requires that of me. And yes, I have these new areas of resentments and new areas of fears that I need to inventory and give away and move through. So yes, 100%, that is. That is. And so I would offer to anyone who... Um, maybe is in that process right now, and maybe you're wondering, oh my gosh, is there something wrong with my recovery? No, there's not anything wrong with your recovery. There's something right with your recovery because you are allowing yourself to be conscious of these things. The big book talks about a God consciousness, and that's what that's what we get to do. We get to you know we get to grow and change and develop and continue to move forward and get bigger um, spiritually. So that's the answer to your. First question. The second question, am I always seeking new sponsees? I'm not always seeking new sponsees per se because the schedule that I have is when I sponsor people, I sponsor them daily. So there's, there's quite a bit of time commitment in sponsoring someone. What I do do is I seek out newcomers. So we'll have newcomers at our meetings, and I, I make a point to call them. Like that first, especially that first week, I call them. And like I kind of have to feel them out to see are they receptive to my call? Some people are a little more guarded. Um, some people are a little more open. But I have to tell you, there are, I want to say there are four newcomers that have come to my meeting in the last eight months or so, and I hook up with them now. I, I'm, when I say hook up, I, I call them. We have regular phone calls. Um, I have regular phone calls with these four newcomers, and it is so wonderful. It is, it is so beautiful to see them start to change, to see their eyes light up, and they're feeling better, and they're sounding better. And uh, a couple of them have now become sponsors themselves, and they're going through their inventories, and it is just wonderful. It's wonderful to witness that, and it is also wonderful to be part of their journey because what I get to do when I call them is I get to offer my own experience, strength, and hope. Like I get to do for them what was done for me in the beginning. Because I had people who I was, you know, having phone calls with when I was new, and they were providing me such strength, such hope. It was so comforting. Um, and to, to hear a voice of someone who, who had recovered, that I could say to myself, gosh, she's recovered Maybe I can recover too. Maybe that's possible for me too. I do think that's the first layer of our changed belief system. Is we don't necessarily believe it for ourselves when we first come in. But when we see others who have experienced this, we can believe it for them. And sometimes that's how, you know, that's how it works for me. I didn't believe it for myself, but I believed it for you. You were showing me something. I believe it for you. Well, now I get to be that person. I get to be that person. The newcomer sees me or hears me and says, gosh, it's happened for Joe. Maybe it can happen for me too. Does that answer both of your questions, Charles? Thank you so much. Thank you, Charles. Judith R. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much, Joe. That's a much-needed course correction for OA. And as I was thinking of the many questions I wanted to ask, I remembered about 20 years ago, in a way, abstinence was the last thing that was talked about. It was sort of uh, a wee-you, wee-you thing that happened to some people. Nobody knew quite how it happened. It was miraculous, but we didn't understand how to get it. And I remember going to a meeting where there was a woman who was three or four hundred pounds, and her big book was underlined, and she had 
I mean, it was really well-loved and well-used, but abstinence was not part of her message. Her message was, I don't remember exactly what, but I just remember the big book being part of it. And during those times, I was really concerned because there was no, almost no abstinence message. And I think Olay finally realized, whoops, we can't just spiritual without the physical. And so we course corrected, but I think it's obviously gone way too far, and we've wound up with this abstinence-only message. But I just wondered if you'd noticed that pendulum swing from abstinence was like something that didn't happen very much to being the focus of the whole program. Hmm. You know, um, I'm pausing because I'm really thinking about my time in OA and have I have I seen that pendulum? I I think I've seen part of it. I mean, I think I've been around long enough where I've seen part of that pendulum swing um, that you're talking about. Um, you mentioned the physical part and the spiritual part. Everything we do in this program is spiritual. Mm. There is nothing that I do in the service of my recovery that is not a spiritual act. So I think part of what I would like to see happen in a fellowship is for us to use language that is descriptive of the actual process. There is no such thing as, you know, gee, there's this thing called abstinence over there on the left, and then there's the spiritual part here over on the right. Everything we do is spiritual. So I think um, if someone is using the fellowship as an excuse not to not to admit their powerlessness, which what I that to me, when you talk about the woman who weighed three hundred pounds and she's bringing in a big book and she's talking about all the big book, to me that's that's misusing the fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous to avoid admitting powerlessness, because if 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 she she obviously was not admitting her powerlessness, right. otherwise she would over time, you would have seen the manifestation of that in her physical recovery. So maybe the the remedy for what you're talking about, this pendulum swing, is to say, let's stop talking about this thing called abstinence, um, and let's stop talking about this separate thing called spiritual, and let's just start talking about when we start working with newcomers, let's start talking about an admission, your admission of powerlessness. Let's go into the doctor's opinion and let's go let's let's go into the doctor's opinion and more about alcoholism and let's have that newcomer read those chapters and really apply that to their eating history. Um I I don't know if that answers your question, Judith. Does that answer your question? It sure does. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Judith R. Gail T., your turn. Hi, this is Gail T. in Texas. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay, I just have one bar. Okay, so I just want to give a little history because I first was invited into OA in 87. I think it was. And I would say there was one or two people that actually had food recovery. And and they did work the steps. And all the rest of the people 
And a lot of times when I go into regular OA, there's really very little abstinence. And all of them are working the steps in their in their way. Everyone, every meeting that I've ever been in works with the big book or maybe just the uh, the big book and also the 12 and 12, but it could be from OA. And I'm always very disappointed when I'm with regular OA people. There are so few people abstinent. But they have gained spiritually, but not abstinence. Then I go into the way to measure groups, and the one that I found strong abstinence was was one that many people talk about, don't eat no matter what, et cetera, et cetera. And I found very strong abstinence in there, and many of my friends in that group have been abstinent for 32, 40, 12, I mean, long-time abstinence. And they do work the steps because they talk about it in the meeting. I didn't work the steps. I didn't really realize the significance of the big book in my life. I was given the big book. I did work it, but I didn't take it as seriously until I got on uh, with Vision for You because I realized that how I was working with my higher power wasn't working. And as soon as I worked with my higher power in the way that the big book talks about, the program started working. So what I have found is I love being with my no matter what, don't eat no matter what abstinent friends because they make my abstinence easier and stronger for me to work the spiritual end of the program. When I was in the no, Don't Eat No Matter What group, and I'm sure everyone's sort of smiling who's in the Don't Eat No Matter What group, um, I never understood why they couldn't be recovered. And I could not say uh, abstinence was the most important thing in my life because it wasn't. And it may not be as well. And so I don't think it's like an either or or black or white I think it also has, um, let's just, I am so happy that I found a vision for you because it makes my personal spiritual program workable in a way that it wasn't in the don't eat no matter what group. But I'm not putting down my don't eat no matter what group because they have such fabulous abstinence, very, very strong abstinence. And I don't see that kind of abstinence around in most uh, OA groups. So, and and I can't remember your name, if it's Deb or Joe, I really got a lot out of your presentation, and I thank you very, very much, and you have very, to me, very strong abstinence and spiritual recovery, and that's what I want. Uh, I pass. So, Gail, um, I mean, you've said a lot. Is there a particular question that you have? Well, what I want, I think it was more like a comment, because... I don't think in spiritual recovery, it's, it's really important not to create an us and a them. And, and that's what my, and so I don't want, that's, so are you creating, thank you for asking, it's, are you creating an us and a them? I'm not creating an us or a them. What I want to do is illuminate the difference in messages. There are different messages, Gail, and they're not all the same. And they don't have the same value. 
It's not about people. It's about the quality of the message that we're that we are uh, that we're communicating. The abstinence-only message is a false message. It does not work. It's not for people like us. The recovery message, that's for people like us. That's the we've been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence. Um, I guess I, I may sound like a broken record, but I'm, I'm going to go back to what I said before. Um, people who, if, if there's a claim of spiritual recovery, and first of all, there's only one kind of recovery. There's not, it's not food recovery and spiritual recovery. There's one kind of recovery. What does it mean to recover? I mean, just read the big book. The big book will tell you what it means to recover. It says, we have recovered and have been given the power to help others. Rocket into a fourth dimension of existence. We are inwardly reorganized. We've had huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. We've had a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. That's what it means to be recovery, to be recovered. It doesn't mean that we're abstinent. That's not what that means. When the big book was written, all the chapters except the doctor's opinion were written with the assumption that the alcoholic had put down the alcohol. Now what have they got left? Well, they've got restless, irritable, and discontent. What are you going to do with restless, irritable, discontent? You're going to apply these steps. Um, So, you know, when you say they've gained spiritually but they're not abstinent, see, to me, that's not possible, the only way to recover is to first admit powerlessness. That's the first thing that we're going to do. And if I've admitted my powerlessness over both aspects of my condition, my allergy of the body and my obsession of the mind, I am, I am then naturally motivated to get help constructing an abstinent food plan and following it. So I don't know. I, I, I am not attracted to that message, and I, I think that that is, um, well, I, I won't keep commenting. I, I don't want to be a, a broken record. Um, so anyway, those are my thoughts. Does, does that uh, answer no. your comment, Gail? No, partially. So I don't feel to get into, um, there are two things. I don't have much use for regular OA because I don't see strong abstinence in there. And they're using the 12 steps, but they're working the program. I can't, what I'm saying is that I'm not going to kick them out the door. So, and, and the people where I see strong abstinence, many of them say, um, you know, they, they don't believe they can be recovered without that strong abstinence, but they do have very strong abstinence and they do work the steps. And what my belief is, which wasn't my belief, I did not buy into this. But what I see, and there are very few people out there that have 32, 40, 20, 12 years of back-to-back abstinence. I see a lot of strong abstinence, and these people do work the program. And one of their jargons is that they, um, you know, that they can never be recovered. Now, maybe they're not working the big book uh, like the big book says, but however they're working it works for them. And I think that's what I want to position myself. I don't want, I'm not, I don't want, with my sponsees, I don't create an us and a them. I just don't. And so, um, and I'm not going to be a broken record either. So, but I, I want you to know you um, elucidated stuff for me personally. 
because I never, I never personally bought into uh, I can't recover. I never understood why people couldn't recover. And also when people broke their abstinence, they went out and they put on 50 pounds in two weeks. So what kind of recovery is that? So I understand that. There are a lot of people in the Don't Eat No Matter What that have never gotten off that food program, and they, and they are abstinent, and they do have recovery. So it's a, listen, this is baffling and confusing, the, well, the whole thing. Okay, so I am not attracted to a message that says don't eat no matter what. That is a completely unattractive message to me. And I am not interested in people who claim that they have strong abstinence. I don't care. I, it's not that I don't care. It's just that that's not the message that I'm looking for. The message I'm looking for is I've recovered. You know, my life has been transformed. I've been rocketed. You know, all, those, all the um, indicators that the big book gives us for what does it mean to be recovered, that's what I'm looking for. So the people, I mean, it's not, it's, not about, it's not about people. I understand what you're saying. You don't want an us versus them. Um, it's just I think that we have a, those of us who have recovered have a responsibility to be discerning about the messages that are out there. We have, a, we have a responsibility to carry the message of the fact that being recovered is possible. And I think we have a responsibility to point out the different messages and to say that, you know, don't put down, you know, don't pick up the food no matter what. That is not the message of the big book. It may be somebody else's message. That is not the message of the big book. I get it. I Thank get it. you. Can okay, can bye-bye. I ask a question? I can. Thank you very much, Gail T. Linda R. And Mary Lee, Linda R., you'll be after Mary Lee, please. And Duell. And Duell. And Jean. Hmm. And Jean. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me, Lynn? Yes, Mary Lee, go ahead, please. I'm speechless. <laughs> um, I'm really grateful for, for what I've heard, and, and my question was answered at least three different ways. And I want to thank you because one of my blanket statements has always been, you can't talk to God with your mouth full. And I, I, I ha- I'm going to be pondering, you said so much, I just, <laughs> I I'm speechless. Thanks. Thank you, Mary Lee. Linda R., your turn with a question, please. Good morning. Thank you so much, Joe. Linda R., recovered in North Carolina and walking in on this beautiful, glorious day. Anyway, I really appreciate your share and your message today. It's very strong, and I am in alignment with what you have to say. My question is, I've been in the program since 1971, and when I first came in, it was very abstinence-oriented. They used a very rigid food plan where I put down my foods that I am allergic to, and I had very, very long-term and still maintain long-term abstinence in the food area. My question is, when you work with new people... We are in Overeaters Anonymous, and most people are attracted. You know, the other 12-step programs are for other substances. When people come in, it is OA. So food is definitely 
you know, one of the attractions to get their food in order. So when you work with new people, you know, how do you help them establish? I know, you know, I tell them go to a nutritionist and, you know, I use all the information that I have acquired over the years. However, I'm curious to know how do you deal with food when you first start working with someone? I know we read the doctor's opinion. I know we work the steps. I know it's spiritual and this is our solution. However, this is a program for overeating. So can you please share how you address the food issues in this? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes, I work with my sponsees with um, um, develop an abstinent food plan, and we go through it with a fine-tooth comb. I do have them go to a nutritionist. I'm not a nutritionist. I don't know what someone needs uh, nutritionally. They bring their they bring their food plan back from the nutritionist, and we go over it, and we look for you know, anything that might be a problem in terms of substance or behavior um, in that food plan. And they read their food to me every day. And if I have any questions about their food, and I I always do when someone is new, I always have questions about their food. Um, That is, again, a manifestation of their admission of powerlessness. At the same time that they are developing their abstinent food plan, they're doing writings based on the doctor's opinion and more about alcoholism so that they can really illuminate for themselves the nature of their powerlessness. So yes, Linda, I work very closely with new people. When I'm sponsoring someone who's brand new, we really go down with a very fine-tooth comb through their food plan. Um, But that is because that new person is in the process of admitting their powerlessness not because abstinence is the goal, but as abstinence follows on the admission of powerlessness. And so it naturally follows that you're going to go through a food plan with a fine-tooth comb if you really are powerless over food. And that's why I go through it with a fine-tooth comb with them. Do you see what I'm saying? Does that answer your question? Yes. I, I, one other thing, though. Could I ask you one more question regarding that? Sure. I, I want to know that, okay, is your a philosophy with this, according to program, are you forgiving when they slip? Because if, you know, if they slip, do you just, how do you handle that? I mean, do you continue the step work? I know that we have to be clean when we're taking them through. However, sometimes, you know, it's an individual issue here, and sometimes there are slippers. How do you handle that in the step work? I think what we have to do is we have to step back with someone who's had a slip. We have to step back and say, okay, let's look at powerlessness again. Let's look at that. Do you understand? Okay, let's go back to the doctor's opinion. Let's go to more about, let's go to more about alcoholism. That's really the, that's the, that's the key um, consciousness that a new person has to have. So the response to the slip is, it's not about um, punishment. It's not about judgment. It's about helping that sponsee understand their own powerlessness. Does that answer your question, Linda? Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for today also. Powerful. Thank you, Linda R. Do L. Good morning. Um, thank you so much, Joe, for your invaluable service. Really appreciate everything that you had to share. And um, 
I just want to bring you back to, you know, entire abstinence because I, I know it's extremely important to be entirely abstinent. That is definitely one of the things that I do agree with what you're saying. But I think a lot of times we confuse the disease um, in being one-fold versus being two-fold. And, you know, and we know that the disease is two-fold. You know, we have the mental obsession, we have the allergy of the body, and a lot of times people in program address just the physical and forget to address the mental. So my question to you is, you know, how is it as you're going through the process with a sponsee or a newcomer or someone that believes in entire abstinence, how do you take them through the process of understanding that and it's not just physical, it is also mental, and, and what is, how, how do you take the person through that process? Mm-hmm. Well, the way that I sponsor is when someone's brand new, um, and actually anyone I sponsor is going to be doing this, but someone who's brand new is going to be working in the big book immediately. They're, they're going to be starting with their food history, and they're going to be starting with reading the doctor's opinion. And they're going to be doing other readings that come out of the big book, and the 12 and 12 um, as well. Um, because there has to be... Um, there has to be the the new person if they're going to recover they have to confront who they are you know that if they've come to overeaters anonymous they're obviously not seeking hopefully a diet with group support because i think that's you know there may be you know, I, I think there can be a message out there that basically OA is this fancy diet with group, with group support. And that is not the message of recovery. That is not the message of the big book. That is, and that is no, that it used to be my experience in OA. It is no longer my experience in OA. I've come way out of that and I'm, comp- and I'm, I'm in a different zone now. So, um, the newcomer has the right to be guided by those of us who have recovered into a process where they're going to uh, experience the, that consciousness that, that this is not a diet with group support. This is enabling them to have a new consciousness about who they are. And in that consciousness, they will be then naturally, if I can put the words around, quotes around, they will be naturally motivated and driven to go further, to go yet further into the process. Um, there are, there's, there's something called desperation, which, which I wish every newcomer who comes in here very deep, powerful desperation. Because with that desperation, you're, you're looking around, you're looking around the room. Is there someone here who can help me? And they're so desperate, they're not necessarily thinking, into, you know, logical, rational thoughts. They're thinking, I'm desperate. I'm drowning in a river. Would you please throw me a life preserver? And so those are the people that I want to work with. Because those are the people who, they're not going to be putting up resistance to going into that doctor's opinion and going into more about alcoholism. They, they're, they're desperate enough to be led by someone who's recovered. They're not going to be arguing. They're not going to be coming up with um, rational-sounding arguments or intelligent-sounding arguments. It's really just the ego in disguise. 
Um, I do not allow a sponsor-sponsee relationship that I'm in to enable an abstinence-only experience. I will not do that. I just, so the way that I sponsor, you know, it pretty quickly um, identifies whether or not someone is desperate enough to be willing to uh, be open-minded enough to accept that they have a two-fold condition rather than just a one-fold condition. Does that answer your question, Do? Thank you. Yes, it does. Um, thank you for your input on that. I'm, I'm so grateful when I hear, you know, that it's not just one-fold. It's, it's a two-fold, and, and I think we all tend to forget that from time to time. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Do L. Jean, your turn for a question. Jean, star one to unmute. Can I go after Jean, Leah, if yes, she doesn't hi. come on? I'm sorry, can you hear me? Yes, Jean, one moment, please. Who popped up? Laura G. Laura G. Anyone else with a question? Alice. Alice, Alice. Alice M. Jane B. Jane B. Mm-hmm. Let's check with our speaker if she has time to address further questions. Joe, what's your timing this morning? I'm, I'm open, Leah. That's You're right. open. Okay, so we have Laura G. We have Alice M. We have Jane B. Of course, we'll begin with Jean. Who else has a question for Joe and would like to get in the lineup here? Any other questions? Star one to unmute. Diane H. in Michigan. I didn't catch your first name. Diane H. Okay, Diane. Thank you. Okay, Jean, your turn. Hi, thanks. You do hear me, right? Yes. Okay. Um, I've been abstinent for 30 years. I came into a 90-day program, and um, and my question is, why do people think they can have one without the other? To me, this is a threefold disease, not a twofold disease. And and um, and and that people understand that when somebody is recovered, they're not cured. I've never, never considered myself cured, and uh, I'll be a compulsive overeater till the day I die. So um, I guess that's my question. This is a threefold disease, not a twofold disease, and you can't have one without the other. And um, so maybe you could comment on that. I'm not sure what you mean, Jean, when you say it's a threefold disease. It's spiritual disease. It's a Decision of the mind, and it's a session of the mind. It's 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 the it's the body, and it's a spiritual disease. Well, I go with the big book. The big book says it's twofold. We have an allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. What I think of as when I think of the obsession of the mind, that is that is intertwined with the spiritual malady. It is the spiritual malady that's creating the obsession of the mind. So, I'm going with that. 
so I, I don't I I don't think of it as threefold. I think of it as twofold. That's what the big book says. It's also just a simpler construct uh, to think of. And you're right. You can't have one without the other. You can't have recovery. You cannot be recovered you can't without be abstinence being a part of that. God. You can't be discovered without some spiritual belief. And um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going with that. I understand your, th- your um, thing, the mind and the spiritual being the same thing. So, um, but I really enjoyed your share today, and I want to thank you very much. You're welcome, Jean. Thank you, Jean. Laura G., your turn. Laura G. Star one to unmute. <laughs> I was laughing. I was just laughing because I asked a question and I'm like, I wasn't being heard. I'm sorry. Good morning, Leah and everybody else. And uh, my question is this, Joe. How do you handle the upset within yourself when the when you realize that um, your potential protege is, is not at the place where they're able to accept or understand the process of all that you've discussed this morning. You know, I guess I'm projecting the future of when I'm recovered and how I will deal with that because I feel like that will be hard to um, to talk to somebody that just isn't there to get it because I know how long it took me. And mm-hmm. that's my question. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of painful, you know, to see someone, you know, drop off. They They don't have the whatever it is you have to have. They don't have the level of desperation that you have to have, you know, to be willing to accept uh, their condition. Um, And I do have to, you know, sometimes I've had to talk about that with my own sponsor and my recovery network. And I also remember that, you know, I remember my own own, um, history. You know, I dropped out of OA uh, many years ago. I dropped out for six months. And I went out there and I, I binged my brains out. And it got so painful. It got more painful than it had ever been in my whole life. That it, it brought me back to the fellowship. And I've been, in, I've been back in since. I have not been recovered this whole time. But it really convinced me of something. And I have seen a number of people go away, and then they come back convinced. They go out and they have that horrible, awful, low-bottom experience that finally convinces them that they are one of us and that they do need our program and they want our program. Um, I was just on the phone uh, yesterday with someone who had tr- went, she had been in, in OA and then she went and had tried some other methods and now she's, she's come back to OA. Um, so it's never for me to say that it's the end of the line for somebody. You just never know what someone's, you know, journey is going to be. So that's been very helpful to me, Laura, um, to remember that just because they're leaving now doesn't mean they couldn't come back at some point. Does that answer your question? It does. Thank you very much. Thank you, Laura G. Alice M., your turn. Hi, this is Alice from Florida. I'm also here in Bulimic. And Oh wow! Um, this your short speech um, really has set me into a lot of self-examination, which is a good thing. Um, you know, I am um, 
newly sponsoring again, and I want to do right by my sponsee, and I want to be a helpful, useful sponsor. And um, and I'm questioning what that needs to look like for me. Um, you know, I um, and one one thing, a couple things you said have made me bristle, um, and a couple things, most things I agree with. But one thing is that um, just you know, I think that when I hear people say that you know that person wasn't desperate enough. Um, I know that I was in denial of my own level of desperation. I could not see how desperate I was. Someone had to help me help me reach it. Um, so, and that was just my experience. But I think, you know, as a, I think that I really stress the abstinence first thing. I, you know, when I go into meetings, you know, that's what I write down a little comment thing. You know, abstinence first, absolutely. Um, you know, abstinence first without exception. Thank, you know, thank goodness I'm abstinent. Blah blah blah. Um, because it's just my experience, and I, I need to get away from my experience when helping my sponsees, I think. Um, but anyway, here's, I'll have a question at the end of this. Um, for me as a newcomer, I was so sick in the food, binging and puking and starving. Um, all, that's all I knew I was sick with. You know, I was heading on a swift path to my grave, maybe slowly, probably quicker at the hands, you know, at my own hands. Um, I needed triage in the beginning with my eating disorder, and this is what I feel like sponsees are when they come to me. They're in a the, the place of triage. You know, I had a severe eating disorder, which I needed. You know, I find that I need to be in a facility that I could that could provide me a higher level of care. You know, it was dangerous for me to try to get abstinent in the rooms on an outpatient basis. Period. That was my experience, um, and the big book supports those who need. You know. A, seek a period of hospitalization. Anyway, I, when a newcomer comes to me, I feel like, you know, just using my own experience, I didn't, I couldn't see past the food. I knew that all I needed, all I wanted was someone help me. Stop binging and puking. Someone help me. What is it that you're doing that I can, you know, get me abstinent? The stuff that came after that, you know, and it wasn't until years later that I finally, um, I finally got, you know, a clear, a clear understanding. It's, you know, I began to see clearly, you know, the underlying moral principles in the state, you know, inherent within the steps, and their transformative power. Now I get it. A couple of years later, but before, you know, I needed to have that clear, just concentrate on that, get the food down, absent thing. So, and that's what I do with my sponsees in the beginning, for sure. Is that, you know, we get abstinent and go through the food with a fine tooth comb. Um, and now I'm, I'm questioning whether I'm giving them a false uh, sense of what the program is. So I, I just, Joe, would like to hear from you. When you get someone who is, and most people are, severely into the food, to me, um, it was almost dangerous for me for someone to start bringing the steps my way and bringing clouding all that. It's like I was physically sick. So if you could just um, address that, I guess. If there is even a question in there, I don't know. That sounded pretty cloudy, but that's 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 it. Mm-hmm. Well, anyone who I sponsor is going to have already come to an OA meeting. And, you know, it's, it's, so they've come to a meeting. And now they're asking me to be their sponsor. So there's an assumption there that what they've seen at the meeting is attractive to them. They're not walking up to me off the street 
they've already come to Overeaters Anonymous. They've already sought something out that that's that's not a diet meal. They're not paying for, to go to a diet club. So they're coming into a different environment to begin with. So if what they've seen is attractive to them and they're asking for a sponsor, I'm assuming that there is already a level of them admitting their powerlessness, even though they might not use that language. Maybe they haven't, you know, they haven't read the doctor's opinion yet. They haven't read more about alcoholism yet. They haven't been introduced in that way. There's something in their gut that tells them that they can't handle this. I was reading some OA, some AA literature just the other night, and it was talking about um, one of the, uh, I don't remember who it was. It was one of the early allies of AA. Um, and I think it might have been Harry Tebu. I think because Bill W. wrote a little article, a little memorial about Harry Tebu when he died. He wrote this little article in the, in the grapevine about him. I think it was him. And he talked about um, this admission of powerless as, powerlessness as being, so I, I don't know if I'm going to get it quite right, but it's letting go of, of our own, of the idea, letting go of the idea of our own omnipotence. So I'm assuming that someone who comes into an OE meeting there's already something going on with them that they are starting to get ready to let go of their own omnipotence. And that has to happen first, even just a little bit. You know, I can't save myself. I know I can't save myself. Will you please throw me a life, a life preserver? So that's already, that's already going on. Um, And until that even takes hold even just a little bit, I can't help someone construct a food plan. They have got to be even just a little bit (laughs) starting to let go of their own omnipotence. The fact that someone has asked me to be their sponsor means they are asking me for help, which means that they don't have the answers. There's something in them that they know that they can't just leave the OA meeting and go out and do it themselves. So there's something going on in the act of asking someone to be your sponsor. You are asking to enter into a relationship in which someone is going to help you. And there's something, and what is embedded in helping is not just saying yes to whatever you want. It's not, it's not, you're not asking someone to agree to anything that you want. You're asking for leadership. You're asking for guidance. You're asking for direction. You're asking for support. That's why you ask for a sponsor in the first place. So that, so that's the umbrella that we're working under. And then under that umbrella, then we talk about a food plan. Then we talk about what does it mean to be abstinent. Does that answer your question, Alice? Yeah, um, that gives me more to think about. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alice. Um, Jane B. Hi, this is Jane B. from Florida. Thank you so much, Joe. Such a pleasure to hear your uh, tremendous help for me clearing up a lot of the uh, confusion about abstinence versus recovery. Um, I was in quite a few programs, but um, the program I was in, which helped a lot with abstinence, just getting the food down, was one of those, you know, we don't eat no matter what, which 
I do agree it has tremendous help for me for step one because I couldn't even put the food down for even a day. Um, what I'd like to know is um, the message I've, I'm getting from you is that if someone is really willing to do what you tell them to do or what, you know, the program, the big book says, um, you wouldn't have a problem with them being willing to turn over their food. And the other thing, would that be the case? And the other thing is, since you work intensively with the sponsee, do you work every day to bring them through the steps quickly or to give them more intensive understanding? Or I just, the commitment is just, you know, I just thought I'd ask those two questions if that makes it clear for you. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, my sponsees, I mean, if, if they, if, if I'm working with a brand new beginner and they, and they stick with it, you know, they get to the steps in a matter of months using the big book method. I mean, they're doing, they're doing their fifth step probably within, they're doing their fourth step. Let's see, they start their fourth step at about three months. They do their fifth step about three weeks after that. Then they do six, seven, and eight. That doesn't take very long. That maybe takes, I don't know, less than a week. And then they go into their amends, which takes several weeks. I mean, it can take a couple months to get through, two, three months to get through all of the amends. And then, um, you know, then they're, you know, then they learn about step 10, and they do some writings on that, steps 11 and 12. I mean, they're really, I mean, probably, I don't know. And then they're, so it's really, it's, it's, all, it's a matter of months. That's been my experience. Does that answer your question, Jane? Jane, star one to unmute. I'm sorry. I, 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 this is Jane. I just wanted to ask you, if someone's not willing to um, turn over their food or they just feel like it's necessary, is that, is that oh, uh, oh, Well, when I sponsor someone, they, they commit their food every day to me because that's, okay. that's part of the admission of powerlessness. Part of the admission of powerlessness is not only not only do I need to have boundaries around my food, I can't keep secrets around it either. So mm-hmm. For me, that's, I am such a low bottom. I am such a low bottom compulsive overeater that I work with other people who are also super low bottom because that's what I, I reserve my time for the low bottom cases. So if I'm working with someone, I mean, she's also really low bottom and she can't afford to keep secrets either about what she's eating Therefore, because, she's, because that's the nature of her powerlessness. Therefore, she turns her food over to me every day. Okay, great. Thanks. Yep. Thank you, Jane. Diane H. Star one to unmute. Can you hear me now? Yes. Go ahead. Okay, sorry. Hi, this is Diane H. in Michigan. Thank you so much, Jill. Um, I have been listening to A Vision for You for a couple of years, and I've been trying to communicate exactly what you've been saying to um, people, and I've never been able to do it as eloquently and as thoroughly as you 
you have this morning. So now I have a tool to say, here, listen to Jill, and then let's talk. But um, my question, and, and you kind of answered it in, in a little way, but the long-timer OAers that do focus on this abstinence only, on this don't eat no matter what message, um, I guess part of what I heard you say was just all I have is my experience to share. And now that I have um, had my spiritual experience, I feel, in working with a new a Vision for You sponsor, um, I'm, I'm trying to communicate it, but but I'm I'm not able to. So is there anything I can do with the long-time OAers who have had physical recovery, but just, I, I want to bring them in onto this bandwagon, and I'm not able to do that. And then my second question is, um, I think one of the most um, amazing things that my A Vision for You sponsor did for me is really, just like you said, thoroughly, thoroughly went through my food with the red, yellow, green attitude. And I had this huge long list of yellows. And then she asked me the amazing question, are you willing to move all your yellow to red while we're working together? And that changed my life. It brought out such a dishonesty in kind of the secrets you were alluding to. Um, and and that has been part of my um, amazing growth as well. Can you speak a little bit to that? I know um, how, how you came to become more honest with your food and get rid of these secrets. Was it just reporting your food only or was there more to it? Thank you very much. Sure. Well, I'll take your first question first. Um, you're asking about bringing long-timers who have an abstinence-only message into this message. Again, Diane, you know, your experience, strength, and hope is a lot more powerful than maybe you realize. When you bring your message to the people that you encounter, that stands for everything. Nobody can argue with your experience, Diane. If you're a recovered compulsive overeater, your life has changed, you have a light in your eye, you are of service, you're touching the lives of others in a positive way, you are a kind, loving, compassionate person, you're responsible, you're, you're, you know, you've joined the human race, that message is attractive. And to me, that's what you can do. You, 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 bring, you bring your recovered self to you know, all of your environments. You bring it into your OA environment. You bring it to your recovery phone calls. You bring it into your sponsoring. Um, when you're around people who, are, who have been around a long time and they have an abstinence-only message, you can carry your message to them. Um, and who knows what kind of seed you could be planting um, with that. Regarding your second question, how to become more honest with the food, I mean, I think that's, for those of us who've reached, and not everyone in a way is like, I mean, not everyone has reached the bottom that I reached. You know, there are people who have recovered in a way, they don't have to give away their food every day to their sponsor. They might not be calling a sponsor every day. Um, and I, I, I want to answer your question, but I want to get back to that, to that point. Um, so, you know, I think my experience has been that 
honesty comes with desperation. Like honesty comes with a conviction that I can't not be honest. Like I, I just don't get away with it. it. It's like, it's not, it's not fear of external consequences that motivate me to be honest or motivates me to be honest is that I know who I am today. I, I know that I am a low bottom, desperate, out of options, compulsive overeater whose only hope is a spiritual solution. Well, what does it mean to be living in a spiritual solution? It means being honest. Because I just don't, my insides just don't get away with not being honest. I just, I'm, it's too late. <laughs> you know, that's, I'm out of tricks. Um, so I think the deep conviction inside of the individual person is what motivates the honesty. But I also, I also think that a sponsor can aid in that process by calling on the sponsor to be as, as honest as possible. So the kinds of, the kinds of, the kind of listening that we do as sponsors, the kinds of questions that we ask, um, and holding our sponsees accountable for what they're saying. That aids the sponsee. Um, sponsors don't have any power over sponsees. We have zero power. What we have power to do is to carry our message of recovery. What the sponsee has power to do is to bring her full self to the table and use that sponsor as a tool for her recovery. Um, so those would be my answers to, to two questions. But I did want to comment on, you know, when I talk about I can't afford to keep secrets around my food because for me, because I got so far gone, if I don't tell someone what I'm eating, for me, that means keeping secrets. But that doesn't mean that, you know, everyone in OA has to do that. And, I, and, I, and I've thought about this um, because I have met people. You know, there are very long, people who are, who have, who are recovered and they're, they have a very powerful message and they're very into the big book and they influence other people's recoveries. They don't have to do that. And I'm thinking, well, gosh, well, how come they don't have to do it? And I do. And my theory, this is just a personal theory of mine, that had I subjected myself to, the, to, the, to a big book level of intervention earlier in my OA life, I might not have had, I might not have to commit my food every day to a sponsor because I would have, I, you know, I would have recovered and then, you know, I, I, there would have been an intervention earlier in, in the progression of my addiction, but that's not what happened for me. I just, I kept going and kept going and kept going, kept falling further and further and further down so that by the time I availed myself of the big book level of intervention, it was just too late for me to do anything other than what I'm doing now, which is that, that daily commitment. Um, that's part of what I do today, that, that I work daily with a sponsor and I work daily with my sponsee. So does that answer your, both of your questions, Diane? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that you hit on something that really resonates with me. I did have a new bottom and that honesty did come with a new desperation. So again, thank you, Jill. Thank you. You're welcome. And before I forget, Leah, before I forget, I want to leave my phone numbers while the recording is going because if there's someone listening back to the recording and they want to call me, I would like for them to have the um, opportunity to do that. So can I do that now? Please go ahead. Okay. So my home phone number is, and I'm, I'm, I live in Minnesota, so I'm Central Time U.S. My home phone number is 612 612- 
612-277-4502. That's my home phone. My cell phone is 612-220-2018. 612-220-2018. Thank you. All right, last call for questions. If you have not had an opportunity to ask Joe a question and you would like to, star one time. Hi, this is, this is Yolanda. I have a quick question. Yolanda, one moment, please. Anyone else? Lisa Devorah S. Lisa S. Devorah L. Lisa S. Anyone else? Last call for questions this morning. Star one to unmute. Francis T, New York. Francis. Okay. Yolanda, go ahead, please. Hi, Joe. Uh, thank you so much for your message today. And um, my question is, there's a, a lot of one-line sayings and uh, that have stayed with me over the years. Uh, like easy does it, first things first, and those 12-step things. And then when I started working the program I'm working now, one of the ladies said to me, and, and I've heard it in the room that I go to, is put your food in the cup and the cup on a scale and everything else will fall into place. When I first heard that, I, it made me think, and I couldn't quite understand it, but I've learned through my years of experience in a way, if I want recovery, um, I just take direction and do what I'm told. It's worked so far. So I kind of like got to understand that, especially knowing, okay, not for me. My question is, if you were to change that saying, put your food in the cup and a cup on the scale for another one-liner based on what you just talked about today, what would it be? Well, I don't have any original one-liners. I mean, I just go by the big book. If you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. I have found the big book set of instructions to be second to none. I have found them to be the only set of instructions, the actual only set of instructions that are out there. I have not found another set of instructions that are in any other book. So I, I say, you know, Find someone who has what you want, and and follow the big book set of instructions. Say to that. Thank you, thank you, Joe. Thank you so much for your service. You're welcome, Yolanda. And Devora L, I believe, your turn. Hi, hi, Joe. Thank you so much. That was fantastic and very inspiring. Um, I have a question for you. Do you ever come across? Um, people that are in other fellowships and that they have opposite issues, um, not completely opposite, but if let's say, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention another fellowship, um, but in some fellowships it's, it's about taking care of yourself and making sure to keep the focus on yourself. And in this fellowship it's about taking away the focus from yourself. And um, sometimes you find that the contradiction can be a problem for some people because I'm finding that with myself setting boundaries and not not allowing certain unacceptable behavior 
will sometimes make me confused on where, you know, where which program I'm working at which time. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I find that the program of recovery in the big book is the most loving, kind thing that I've ever done for myself. You want to talk about self-care? Follow the big book. I mean, you want to take care of yourself? Follow the big book. I am taking better care of myself because I follow the big book. So for, our, for purposes of our fellowship, you know, you know, our real purpose, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and those about us. I think there's a lot of confusion in our fellowship about what that means because I find that there are questions come up about, um, well, but if I do... Oh, hang on a second, please. about that that was my uh my uh my smoke detector went off i'm not having a fire it's just a little uh something anyway sorry about that um so so i think that the, i think there's confusion around this uh this thing we call taking care of ourselves that somehow if we give ourselves over to the principles of the big book like being of maximum usefulness being of maximum helpfulness being of service that somehow that's going to require us to drive ourselves into the ground and we're going to be exhausted and we're going to be spent and we're going to be angry. That's not what they're talking about. You know, that's not being of service, that's being a martyr. And they're not talking about being a martyr. We're not talking about being a martyr. We're talking about being of service. And frankly, we have a lot more ability to be of service than we think. I certainly have. I had no idea that I would be able to provide the kind of service in my personal life and my professional life that I can provide now. I didn't know that was in me. And in fact, that's in me. And I'm in in three 12-step fellowships, and they are not conflicting with each other. They are married to each other. They're complementary. I have not found anything that that is um, contradictory um, among, among the actual programs, among the actual programs of recovery. Now, there may be conflict among certain slogans or certain passages and certain pieces of literature, but the actual practice of the programs themselves, they fit together like puzzle pieces in my experience. Does it answer your question, Devorah? Uh, um, for the most part, uh, do you mind if I just ask one more question about it? Sure. Okay. Um, what is somebody or something that we find unacceptable and in in a behavior or something that that and you know the, the, if we do a ten step on it, you know it it comes out like sometimes it really is the need to set a boundary, but when you when you're working with the the tenth step of like what is this bringing up for me and pride and whatever you know can can the can they both be true like Am I making sense? Yes, um, but I think you're touching on something that is really addressed in another program, and I don't really want to go into that area because I don't think that's really my focus for today. Um, 
I think if if what you're asking is coming out of another 12-step program, I think you need to go to that program and people who are working that program to ask that question. But I will say that, yes, you know, if there's a disturbance of some kind, what is, you know, we have to look at, we always, in, for purposes of this program, what the big book tells us is that we always have to be looking for our part in things. Mm-hmm. And we cannot use someone else's behavior as an excuse to behave badly. Mm-hmm. I mean, someone else may be doing something that it, maybe they're stepping on, you know, maybe we're not stepping on their toes, maybe they're stepping on our toes, but our response to that has to come out of the big book principles. It has to come out of the steps. Mm-hmm. What would those steps be? They would be if you don't have a resentment or you don't have a fear, really it's steps 11 and 12. Now, how, how would you engage steps 11 and 12 around this issue? What does step 11 say? Step 11, you know, it's only a few pages. It, it's only like step 11 is like, what is it, like two and a half pages or something? It's pretty short. These are high, high-level principles. Um, what does it say? It says, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. Mm-hmm. That's what it says in step 11. So if, if you are experiencing something where someone is doing something that is unacceptable to you, what is your responsibility? Your responsibility, and, and if you're agitated or doubtful, what's your responsibility? Is to pause and ask for the right thought or action. What are you asking, or who are you asking? You're asking the power greater than yourself, which has not been released inside of you from having done those inventory steps and gotten clear of the wreckage of your past. You have now gained access to this power greater than yourself. And what is the experience of this power greater than yourself? What would this power have you do? How would this power have you respond in, in this situation? Maybe pause and ask for the right that are action. For me, sometimes the right thought or action is to call somebody in my recovery network to say, hey, you know, I'm having this experience. I'm not sure what to do. Can you advise me? Or go to somebody else who I trust. Maybe something's going on at work or something in my neighborhood. You know, go, you know going to someone who, who I trust, who I can um, consult with and, and get their feedback. Um, so step, step, step 11. So that's the step 11 what, you know, help me with my thinking here. That's really, that's, that's step 11, help me with my thinking. And what does step 12 say? Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and practice these principles in all of our affairs. Right now, okay, now I'm in step 11. I had some doubt. Now I've, I've been able to, okay, what would my higher power have me do? What are other recovered people, you know, advising me to do? Now, how can I take that? turned around thinking, now how can I practice whatever it is I'm going to do, because my thinking's been turned around now, my thinking's been straightened out now, how am I going to practice this, these principles in all of my affairs, including with this, hey, someone's doing something that I find, you know, perhaps I find unacceptable, but what am I going to do? How am I going to apply the principles of the program in responding to this situation? That is always my job. As a recovered person in, in Overeaters Anonymous, that is my job. So that would be my response to you. Does that answer your question? Yes, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you very much, Devora. Lisa S. Yes, thank you so much, Joe, for your clarity and for your message. 
I had a question for you. I came in late, so you might have already answered it, but do you have um, like a daily routine with, in terms of your connection with your higher power? Yes, I do. Um, the big book says, On Awakening. Let us think about the 24 hours ahead. Before we begin, we ask God, you know, we ask God to direct our thinking, asking that it be divorced from selfish, self-pity, and dishonest motives. I don't know if I'm ex- getting exactly quite right, but that on awakening. So when I wake up, I make a decision. I'm going to live in recovery today. I'm going to, you know, and I remember a power greater than myself. And most days... I get out of bed with a certain, you know, a certain level of, kind of the willingness comes pretty quickly. But some days I've got to like, okay, let's, (laughs) you know, it it takes a little more mental effort on awakening. Let us think about the 24 hours ahead. Um, In fact, I want to, I actually want to get that out and... um, there are there are instructions in there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm doing that. I'm thinking about my day. I'm thinking about what day lies ahead. Do I have anything scheduled? How do I prepare myself for that event so that I can show up in in the best way that I can? How can I bring the best Joe possible? Excuse me to that um, to that experience. Um, it's it's um and sometimes it's making a mental list that has to do with you know oh yeah i you know like i'll give you an example so on friday i made a mistake at work that i and i and i i had a, an immediate response but now as i'm thinking about it i need to make a more full bodied response to make a recommendation for um changing a protocol that we have to minimize the chance that this kind of mistake can happen again because the kind of mistake that I made it could be made by anybody and so how do we how do we um kind of how do I how can I go back to work and make a recommendation that that addresses the issue in a responsible way um Let's see. So let's see here. Okay. So yeah. So it's out. It's on page eighty-six. On awakening, let us think about the twenty-four hours ahead. So I do that. We consider our plans for the day. I do that. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking. And so, what what is God to me? You know, it's like I said it in my you know, God for me is the combination of all these good qualities. You know, compassionate, uh, kind, loving, generous, supportive, tolerant, patient, accepting. So basically, I'm asking this energy that has all these qualities to direct my thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. I mean, that's pretty simple, right? Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. So that's... I mean, really, that's my upon awakening. It's really, I mean, you know what I love about the big, I mean, I love so much about the big bug, but one of the things I love so much about it is so, it is so simple, and it doesn't take very long. I mean, my recovery is my whole life, so I'm living my recovery all day, every day, throughout the day. It's not like, gee, I have my life and I check on recovery, but this thing, this morning, uh, this morning ritual, it doesn't take very long. I'm doing it as I'm getting ready for work. Does that answer your question? Yes, thank you very much. Thank you, Lisa. 
And our final question comes from Francis. Thank you, Leah. Hi, everyone. My name is Francis G. And I have a very simple question. You mentioned, and you may have already defined it, but what is your definition of a low bottom compulsive overeater? Well, I don't think I have an objective definition. I think those of us who are low bottom, we just assign that label to ourselves. I I can just tell you why I call myself a low bottom compulsive overeater. It is because the length and breadth and depth of my addiction was so awful. I mean, I was overeating with a desperation and an urgency that took over my whole life. I mean, my whole life was compromised. My life was compromised because of this addiction. It was compromised physically. It was compromised emotionally. It was compromised mentally. Certainly compromised spiritually. It was threatening my work life. It, it, was, it was, my addiction was so bad. I mean, I, I was having suicidal thoughts, and I knew in my gut that I was shortening my life expectancy. I mean, I call that low bottom. Now, maybe somebody else doesn't call it that. I call it low bottom. So that's one of the reasons I call myself a low-bottom compulsive overeater. I also call myself a low-bottom compulsive overeater because of the level of intervention that I need for my recovery. I need a very high level of intervention. I mean, the big book is so powerful. I mean, it's a very, it's a simple but a very powerful level of intervention. And if someone like me, if I'm adhering to the big book solution, that must mean I'm pretty darn bad off. Because why would I do all of this? Why would I exert myself in this way every day throughout my day and plan to throughout my life if I were not really seriously bad off? So that's why I call myself a low-bottom compulsive overeater, Francis. Thank you very much. Thanks, Francis, for the question. Thank you to all who asked questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, Joe, for this important and very stimulating presentation you offered this morning. It was obviously great fodder for a lot of discussion. Thank you very, very much. And I'm going to close this morning with a way we always close. That's from page 164 in the big book. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.